Welcome to the Living Hope Church podcast. Thank you for tuning in today. We pray that you are blessed by the sermon. Uh, We act as a resource, um, this podcast, to provide you with weekly sermons from our church um, and that you would be encouraged on your drive to work or encouraged at home when you're cleaning, that this would be an encouragement for you. And so we pray that you were blessed by the sermon today. So let's get into the sermon. So let's take a look. Colossians chapter 3, we'll read 18, sorry, verse 18 and go to chapter 4, verse 1. This is where the fun begins, right? And I think you'll know, some of you will know as soon as I start reading. Wives, submit to your husbands, ye, as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Slaves, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. Masters, treat your slaves justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. All right. Now, one thing that we need to make sure that whenever uh, you see something kind of jars you, you know, this is not this first phrase, why I submit to you. This is not popular today. Um, And so we need to recall the context that Paul is speaking from. And that's where we need to go back a few verses to what Paul talks about this putting on, this putting on Christ. Okay, so let me read that. I'll just let you listen to it. Paul says, right before this passage, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So it is in that context, that context. Now you take a look at that and you tell me who doesn't want to live in that kind of community with compassion, humility towards forgiving each other. Who doesn't want to live in that kind of a community? I know I do. That is the way of Christ. And so these instructions for the household come out of that general context of putting on Christ, this kind of context, this kind of community. Because our culture is going to say, wait, when we get to submit in just a moment here, What, submit what? If he's beating on me, I should still submit? No. 
That's not the community that's coming out of. It is wrong. All right? So there are clear, defining boundaries. So keep in mind what Paul is speaking from, the context which he's already illustrated for these instructions for the household. He deals with six different roles within the household that the Colossians were experiencing. Husbands, wives, children, masters, slaves, and fathers. Okay, obviously, husbands and fathers might be the same person. All right, but six. And he, with each one, except for the fifth one, sorry, except for the sixth one, when he deals with masters, the first five, he's got, he follows with a command. And so I'm going to focus on those things. All right. So out of this context, out of a community that we long to be living in, Paul says, wives, submit to your husbands. And today, as already indicated, our culture, when they see the word submit, it already has negative connotations. It's a bad word. It's a bad word. So the Greek, hypotasso is the Greek word. And here's what it literally means, to arrange under in an orderly manner. To arrange under in an orderly manner. Paul uses a different word for obey. Okay, so submit and obey are different words. And through one of the studies, those who have studied deeply into this word, the word does not mean obey. Okay, so it would not be uh, an equivalent interpretation for us to say, wives, submit to your husbands, wives, obey your husbands. Okay, because it's getting at two different things. It means to be arranged under in an orderly manner. Here are other instances that the same Greek word, hypotasso, is used. First off, we are all to be ordered under God. I'm not going to go into the references, but they are there for your further study. God has ordered all things under Christ. Hypotasso there. Demons are ordered under Christ's disciples. So in Luke 10, when the disciples come rejoicing back that the demons are subject to us in, by the name of Jesus, they use the same word. The demons are subject under us because of the name of Jesus. And in the end, Christ will be ordered under the Father. How about human relationships? We are to submit. We are to be ordered in an orderly manner under governmental authorities. Peter writes about we are to be uh, ordered to arrange under an orderly manner under every human institution. We are to be ordered under the leaders in the church. And all are to be in mutual submission to each other. Okay, so I'm just trying to give you a flavor for this word and where else it's used and what it refers to. It's, it's a wide application. So in Paul's world, at this time, submit is not a bad word the way it is today. Submit is not a bad word. Order is not bad in and of itself. I mean, take a, just take a moment and think about the things that if we don't have order, what we can't do. Or say it another way, let's think about the things that we can do because there is order. We can know the world around us. God has ordered this world so that we can know it. If we can't know it, then that means we can't th have things like cars or 
even big things that looms that sewed up our clothes together. That requires order. That requires knowing certain things. We can't have any kind of machine that helps us do things if the world was not in order. So order in and of itself is not bad. It's what kind of order is being implemented. And this is where Jesus is trying to bring in a better kind of order to the family. Because sin brings in a different kind of order. Let me ask you this. Whose kingdom and ways rebel against God's orders? The devil's, right? Things go wrong when a different order, other than God's, is sought and implemented. And think of the fall of humanity, Genesis chapter 3, where Adam and Eve rejected God's order by rebelling against his command, listening to the serpent in the garden and taking on his order, his ways. And the result has been the fall of man and all the junk that we see as a result of that moment in history. And Jesus comes to correct it to the right order. So my point is, either way, we all submit to someone. We are all ordered under somebody. And wisdom would tell you to choose the one that has your best interest in mind. Wisdom should tell you to order yourselves under the one, the rule and reign, the way of life that has your best interest in mind. Guess what? This kingdom over here doesn't have your best interest. Oh, you'll hear, you've got to be free. Yes, you can do whatever you want. Take off the strappings of any kind of commands from God or whatever. Be free. Be true to yourself. When we can only be true to ourselves under the one who made us, who knows us perfectly through and through and loves us. Over here, no fear of rejection. Over there, fear of rejection. So if you're worried about what people put on Instagram about you or Facebook and you're fearful about that, guess what? You're living in the wrong kingdom. You're not living over here. Over here, there's no fear. If we know who Christ is, the preeminent one, there be no fear in your hearts. So guess what? Christ doesn't reject you. If you're feeling fear, whatever the case may be today, whether it's over COVID, the, the rise in cases, uh, the presidential election, wherever you're experiencing fear, there is grace to stay right here under Christ's kingdom. He does not expect us to be without fear, but he does expect us to come to him when we do experience it. Because his is the way that deals with fear at its core, at its root. That's why he's made us his temple. He's placed his spirit within us for those who come to Christ. The very presence of God it dwells in your heart if you are in Christ. And so if there's fear, guess what? It tells us there's something to put off. There's something we have taken on, whether it's from our past, 
but there's something we've taken on that is in this kingdom over here and not in the kingdom of Christ. So first we have to put off before we can put on. Okay. So submission is not the bad word here. Because again, you can't escape from submitting to somebody. And so I appeal to you to seek the one who has your best interest in mind, and that's God. Submission in the husband-wife context does not mean you cannot have a discussion. Okay? Or that a wife cannot say anything at all. That's not what submission means. But here specifically, because Paul's addressing wives, there's something in the woman's heart from sin that gives them the inclination to usurp or to take control of the husband-wife relationship. And that's what God said would be, Eve would be tempted in, and all women since then would be tempted to take control. When the husband's not doing what she thinks he ought to be doing, like going to get a job, a better paying job, or, or doing something, uh, mowing the yard, picking up his man cave, whatever the case may be, all right? The temptation in the woman's heart as a result of sin is going to be to usurp and to take control. Now, what I've heard from others is that what might be going on there is fear in the woman's heart. So there might be a pocket of fear, the ladies, uh, wives here, or online, that you may need to go before the Lord in grace and mercy and truth. Now, I spent a little bit more time on this one just because of our cultural setting with this word submit. Okay, so please know that if these others come a little bit more shorter, it doesn't mean that the wives, oh, you really need to know this. Okay, that's not what I'm doing. Okay, I'm just letting you know. We had to address that because we are, it's hard to not be affected by a larger culture from all the messages that we get today. Okay, so we need to renew our minds with the word of Christ. So that's why I spent a little bit more time on hippotasso and this word. All right, husbands. What's Paul's command? To love, love your wives. But not just that. And do not be harsh with them. Do not be harsh with them. One uh, illustration I heard one time in terms of verbal comments is that guys are buffaloes and women are butterflies. So if you take a pebble that is uh, considered like a statement or an insult or a put down or something like that, for a buffalo, it just bounces off, right? But with a butterfly, that pebble will wound the wings because they are so delicate. Doesn't mean they're wimpy. Ladies, we affirm you, you are not wimpy. All right? You're not wimpy. You are strong in a different way a way that complements the man's strength, and it all comes from God. 
So how can you be harsh with your wife? Well, maybe you joke around with them the way you joke around with your friends, your male buddies. You know, I grew up with two other brothers. I'm the middle of three. And, uh, you know, we can have fun just getting into it, just knocking each other down. And we think it's all in good fun. We, we just kind of just brush it off. Oh, they're just joking. No big deal. But you had a sister in there. And can the brothers tease the sister in the same way? See, we all know it. No, because they're different. So husbands, your wives are not like your buddies. And so that's the way we can be harsh with them is the way we tease them. Another way is to, in taking the words of Jesus about leadership, is that we can lord the authority that we've been given, not because we're so great men. It's because of God. He's placed us in there that we can lord it over them. And this is where I think the negative connotation comes from. We know and have heard of and seen examples in media and on TV about men who handled their authority the wrong way. Abuse resulted. Or they're very strict. You know, no, you're going to do what I tell you because I'm the husband. We can lord it over them. And so men... Just the way that our wives have a sinful inclination that comes from the fall. Guess what? We have a sinful inclination as well in our position. And that is the temptation to center the family around us. Come on, I worked all day. I should be able to recline, read the newspaper, turn on the TV, and have somebody give me a drink. In fact, have one of my kids play the fiddle for me. I want a tune. Dance a jig. You know, that is lording it. That is misusing the authority. That is making it about you rather than coming home and making it about the family. Your role is to consider the whole family and to love your wives. And as Paul says elsewhere in Ephesians, to love Christ, to love your wife as Christ loved the church. Now you think about how Jesus humbled himself to the point of death, even death on the cross for his beloved. That is the way of Jesus for us husbands. That's how we are called to love our spouses. And that is no small task. No small task. Okay. So wives, husbands, Remember, the Jesus way of living is the preeminent way for families. So, children, now it's your turn. Obey your parents in everything. Ha ha, you have to do what we say. You have to do what we say. Called to obey. Now, let me ask you this, kids. If you saw your mom and dad in this orderly environment of love, compassion, humility, do you think it'd be as difficult to obey your parents? Like if, they were to, if you were to know your, their love for you, does it make it easier following somebody when you know that they love you? Yeah. And so when you want to rebel, when you don't want to obey, that is the Holy Spirit 
giving you a gift to show you the truth of yourself because it ultimately reflects your heart towards God. Here are your parents. Yes, they mess up, they screw up, they have weaknesses. But God, out of his love, has placed you in their family. And so when you don't want to follow what they instruct you to do, that you are stepping outside of God's order because you're ultimately saying, God, I don't want to follow you. Okay, now remember, I know our, we have some intelligent youth here, and I've been in the Q&A sessions on Youth Night, and they ask some really good questions. And I imagine some of them are thinking, well, wait a second, what if my dad told me to jump off a bridge? Should I obey that? You know, those little outliers things. No, remember the context. Read back what Paul talks about putting on. This is the context in which he is calling each of us, each of you, to obey your parents. So no, if your dad tells you to jump off a bridge, don't do it. Now, if you're on a train bridge and there's a train coming, and that's the only way to survive, then yes, of course, you jump with your dad. Okay. The flip side with children. Fathers, do not provoke. What does this mean? Do not instigate. Do not prod or poke in a way of trying to agitate your children. Teasing is a way to do that. So I got this really bad habit from my mom. Whenever I asked her a question, she would never give me a straight answer. Um, let's see. What would be an example? Um, I can't think of one offhand, but um, over time, when you're asking, hey, what are we having for dinner tonight? Uh, food. Okay, what, what kind of food? Good food. All right, so even though it's joking, you know, over time you extend that to just about every question that I had, and she would never answer with a straight, the straight answer. It kind of gets exasperating after a while. Kind of like, okay. What kind of good food are we having for dinner tonight? You know, and, and, I, and my girls know this. I, I do this a lot to them. I picked it up, unfortunately. Um, and, and so there's been times I'm like, oh, okay, Matt, come on. Hold it back. Just answer, the, answer their questions straight. Um, but that's a way that we can exasperate our children. Okay, that's a, a fun kind of lighthearted way. But guess what? There's, there's more ways that we can exasperate our children and provoke them to anger of dads. And maybe you can think of instances where you've kind of failed and you exasperated your child. You kind of prodded them uh, either out of frustration or maybe been a little passive aggressive. And what that means is passive aggressive is where you kind of say things in not in an angry way, but the implication is there's something bugging you underneath there and your child knows it. Um, like, uh, oh, glad to see you picked up your room when it's clearly not been picked up. All right, sarcasm is a way to kind of instigate and prod. Um, never encouraging your child is a way to provoke them to anger. Getting them eternally frustrated that, you can, that they can never please you. Never, never demonstrate their love to you in a way that you receive it and you, and you just rejoice over them of what they've done, even, even if it's not perfect. 
You know, also like with the clean the room situation, you see things moved to the back or pushed under the, um, you know, the clothes are just thrown into the drawers or whatever. How about, hey, I see that you worked on cleaning your room. This is awesome. Thank you so much. Rather than, what's that over there? Not folded. Dusty. You know, it's how is a child supposed to feel that way if that's always the message that they get that they can never do enough? And that is a way to provoke them to anger, to frustration. So yeah, so when they become teenagers, they're going to yell, run out of the house saying, I hate you. Because they've never experienced that encouragement and love from their dads. Or even from their moms. But Paul singles out fathers here. All right, so wives, husbands, children, fathers. And now, slaves. The Greek word means bondservant. So here's another word. I'm just pointing this out, that when we see slaves, we've got the post-Civil War, post-American picture of slavery. And I, I do want to say that it is not exactly the same thing as the slavery that in Paul's context. Okay? Um, it's not exactly the same. So keep that in mind. So when Paul says to obey your earthly masters, he's not endorsing slavery. He's just addressing where people were at in the church that he's writing to. Today, the uh, slave masters that slave and master relationship that Paul's addressing would be more like the employee-employer relationship today. Because as an employee, you are ordered under your boss. And so Paul goes a little bit more into detail about slaves here. Because they do have a particular way to witness. And so when, when I read this, I want you to think of you as an employee. Wherever you work. If you own your own business, think about just how you conduct your own business with your customers. Here's what he says. Slaves, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters. Not by way of eye service as people pleasers. Okay, what does that do? Well, let's say uh, you're in the restaurant. Let's say you're back behind the counter and you're supposed to clean something. The manager goes away and you kind of just... But as soon as you see him, I'm cleaning, boss. But as soon as they walk away, you relax. That is being a people pleaser. That is doing it for eye service of your employee. Employer, excuse me. What does, what's the way of Christ? To obey in everything those who are your earthly masters with sincerity of heart. Sincerity of heart. Not fearing them, but fearing the Lord. And that fearing the Lord, it's a reverence. Out of reverence for the Lord Jesus Christ, do your work sincerely for your employer. He goes on, whatever you do, so whatever, wherever you find yourself with work, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. Knowing that from the Lord, you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. So as employees, whatever you do, 
Work heartily for the Lord. Several years ago, I was working multiple jobs in, uh, in addition to a part-time pastor position up north, uh, in more in the Cleveland area. And one of these jobs was um, I was a quality inspector for new homes. So right before the new owners would come in, I was called upon along with a team. I was part of a team, but we'd go in individually, go through the whole house, test certain things for quality to make sure everything was right as rain for the new homeowners to come in and go through the house. Um, and so when I would go in, this is, wasn't the most exciting job, okay? Um, you're going in all by yourself. I, got, I had a roll of blue tape on my wrist. Um, you know, anything that needs to be marked, I'm doing it for the guys to follow up. And um, got my phone taking pictures, marking things on, on my phone. It's not the most exciting job. But what I tried to do, okay, so how I tried to apply this one of working heartily for the Lord with sincerity of heart is that each time I would get out of my car and I'd face the house, I'd just say, Lord Jesus, help me to extend your kingdom in this place by the things that I see. Help me to see what I need to see so that this house can be better for when the new homeowners come in. And I would, I would try, it didn't do it perfectly, but I just tried to have that mindset. I would, just, uh, I would try to enter with a prayer of blessing for the new homeowners. I would ask, Lord, would you help these home, new homeowners to know who you are? And so that's what I tried to do. I, I was like, I did not see myself work. I tried not to view myself as working just for my boss who wasn't there. He was, he was in Connecticut, actually, uh, hundreds of miles away. I tried to work for the Lord. And that changed my whole mind shift of, you know, I'd see a nick on the wall, there'd be the temptation to just keep moving because I'd try to rush through things. And I'd be like, no, I'm doing this for the Lord. And so I'd go back and I'd mark it. Because my focus was, Lord, if you were here right with me, what would you want me to mark down? That is working with sincerity, working for the Lord rather than for men. Whatever you do, do it as if the Lord has asked you to do this and not your employer. Finally, masters. Now, in that time and culture, the masters, uh, not all the houses, uh, households in the Colossian church and thus in the Roman world had servants. All right? It's usually the ones who were wealthier who could afford to have to house uh, a servant or servants. And so, um, so just know he's dealing, treating with somebody uh, who has more money, uh, who is in the church. So masters, and this is the one verb in this passage that is not in the command sense, the imperative mood of, of Paul commanding something. This is in, uh, he just puts it in the present indicative. In other words, he, he just wants, he's calling the masters to just simply do this, live this out without commanding them. This ought to be true of what they're already doing in the present tense. And he says this, Masters, treat your slaves justly and fairly. Justly and fair, with justice and with fairness. So all the abuses of any slave owners that were in the past, they would be in the wrong for treating their slaves unjustly and unfairly.
employers, treat your employees justly and fairly. And here it is. Here's, here's his final line. Knowing that you also have a master in heaven. Guess what? We're always submitting to somebody. We cannot escape being under somebody's authority. And so masters, employers, you are not at the top. Christ is. And so that is the reason why you need to treat others who have been ordered under you with fairness and justice. That is the way of Christ. That is the way of Christ. Hopefully, as, I've, if we've, as we've gone through this passage, you've seen something. Something has hopefully pricked your heart about maybe something you need to put off in order to put on Christ the way Paul illustrates it. I want to end just with how he finishes before he gets into the greetings. I just want to, it's a beautiful ending. And so I think uh, as Paul's addressing this whole church in Colossae, that yes, has wives and has husbands and has children and has uh, slave owners and those who are slaves, um, that there's something for all of them. He's talked about this general culture of a community, of a Christian community, found the way of Christ. And out of this comes certain things for the household, members of the household, to follow. But then he kind of goes back to the general exhortation to the whole body, and it's this. Continue steadfastly in prayer. And I think we can apply this to our situation to today with all that's going on. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. This word watchful, not reclining at ease. No, but diligent, looking out, being discerning. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving, being thankful. Do you find yourself having trouble to being thankful to what God has given you, to the blessings that you get to experience right now? No matter what's going on, we have something. Each of us have something to be thankful for. Are you allowing yourself to be thankful in those things? At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison that I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. Oh, Lord, may you help us to speak clearly about you. Verse 5, conduct yourselves wisely towards outsiders, those who are not inside the church community, but outside. Conduct yourselves wisely towards them, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Father, would you help us to know how to conduct ourselves as your followers in this time, at this day, not only as within our homes, but also to those outside. Lord, would you help us to have open arms to our neighbors so they can see your open arms to see Christ, to see Jesus clearly. Holy Spirit, whatever you have started, 
through applying the truth of your word to each of our hearts. I pray against distractions in the rest of the day from returning to what you have started. Yes, we're closing up here. We're closing up the service and we can easily move on to the next thing. Whatever you have started, please help us to return for you have something good for us. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.